Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We have been making our way for the last several months to the book of 1 Corinthians. And today is, today is Palm Sunday, which obviously that's, there's a lot of things that can be said about that. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, the, the people putting the, the palm, branch, palm branches down and singing Hosanna and Lord save us, all those different things. And, and I really um, prayed about should we, should we break away from, from our study of 1 Corinthians. We've been out of it for the last several weeks. And, and should, we, should we wait until after Easter to get started? And in the midst of doing all that, um, I had several, several folks from the church this week that, um, that started texting me about what we're going to be talking about this week. And I was so encouraged because for the most part, um, I just kind of sat back and let it go and, and, and just listened and just kind of soaked it up. And um, the more I thought about that, that is what the church is supposed to be doing. Um, and if we have a systematic way that we're working through entire books of the Bible, we know how to do that. And, and we know what's coming next. And I did not plan this this way. Honestly, I was hoping that we would be through 1 Corinthians a couple of weeks ago. Um, and because of different things, that just, that just didn't happen. That wasn't God's plan ultimately. But if you flip over to the next chapter, which I'm hoping we're going to be able to get through through the end of 1 Corinthians 14 today, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15... On Resurrection Sunday, what's it talking about? Talking about the resurrection. And so I, that just was kind of confirmation to me that, that God is doing this exactly the way he wants to. It's not my schedule. It's not your schedule. It's his schedule. And, and he's walking us through this. And there are some things this week that, to be honest with you, um, it, it just my eyes are being opened to a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of things that, that I think we as a church need to see. And this, this whole passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is talking about edifying the church. So we're going to go through that and talk about what that means. And as I was putting together the PowerPoint, um, this picture here, that's the church. It's a group of people gathered around God's word, teaching and training and helping one another. That's what the church is. And it was interesting because when I, I was trying to put this together, I googled the word church and every single picture was a building with no exceptions. That's not the church, folks. This is the church. This is the church. And, and so as, as I was working through this this week, God just, just really started opening my eyes to a lot of things. And, and, um, and I want to talk about that this morning because this passage goes through exactly how the church is supposed to be set up. Uh, we're going to start in verse 20 and of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you will stand with me, we're going to read through the end of the chapter. And what Paul is doing here in this chapter, at the end of this chapter, he is setting the rules and the guidelines of how the church is supposed to act, how the church is supposed to function, um, how the church is supposed to be the church. And, and so it's, it's interesting as, as we go through this. Um, in verse 20 it says, Brethren, and it's interesting he's talking to brethren, his brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, he's not talking to the lost world. He's talking to believers. He says, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and, of, and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues, which we talked about a few weeks ago, are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign. 
not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles, if the whole called out body of, of believers assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're all mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and, eat, and, and someone must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to anyone who is seated, the first one must, must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be, may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Let's pray. Father, would you please help us to understand clearly what your word is telling us as your church? Lord, would you, would you mold us and shape us and would you help us to, to put aside every preconceived notion and just look at the text and just understand what your word is speaking to our hearts. God, please be with us this day and help us to, to, to honor you and worship you, Lord, as you deserve. First in Christ's name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so there's, there's a couple of things that, that, I want to, that I want to be able to point out. And, and the overarching idea of this, of this whole message is this idea of edification. Um, the word in Greek is oikodome, um, which is actually a compound word. And this word is, is found in Scripture 18 different times. Four of them, so basically a fourth of the times that it's in Scripture as a whole, is in this one chapter of, uh, of 1 Corinthians. And, and so Paul here is, is he's focusing on constantly edification. And so we need to understand what that means, if that's his whole point. Uh, the compound word is from two words. Uh, the first one is oikos, which means house. And the other one is doma, which you can kind of understand what that is. That's the dome. That's the ceiling. That's the roof. Uh, it's the roof of the house or a building. So oikodome um, is a word that just basically means either it, it can mean the, the, the upper part of the house, if it's a noun, or if it's a verb, it means to build up the house. And so when we're edifying... What we're doing is we're building up the house. Now, Scripture tells us that Christians are the house of God or the body of Christ. So if we're, if we're building up this house, then this is what we're talking about. So edification is, is essentially a, a, an idea where we're trying to lift one another up. We're trying to push each other along on, on, the, on the Christian uh, road. 
Uh, the primary goal of the church, the called out body of believers, is to be built up. That's why we meet. The purpose of us getting together on Sunday mornings is not just so that we won't get to sleep in late. The purpose is not so that we can come to good classes or we can, we can fellowship with our friends. The purpose of, of being in the body of Christ, having the body of Christ come together to be in church, if you want to say it that way, the purpose of that is to build one another up. And the issue that, that, that I'm seeing that... Well, let me, let me read you these verses. These are all the verses, or many of the verses, not all of them, but many of the verses where um, edification is found. In Romans 14, 19, it says, So we pursue these things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. In the next chapter, Romans 15, verse 2, it says, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. So again, it's, it's one person to another. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And that's the noun for, version of the, of the word. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter four, 14, excuse me, the, the chapter we're working on today, there is, as I said before, it's listed four times. In verse 3 it says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Kind of keep your place there because we're going to come back to that one in just a moment. In verse 5 it says, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. For great, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Verse 12, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. And verse 26, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it said, verse 1, it says, For we know that, the, that if the earthly tent, that's this body, if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. That's that word edification. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then finally in 2 Corinthians 13, 10, it says, For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which God gave me for the building up and not for the tearing down. Church, here's what I want you to see. The reason that we're here this morning is because all of us need to be built up in our Christian faith. All of us. And, and if you go back for just a moment to, to verse 3 of chapter 14, I want, I want to revisit, revisit this. This is from a few weeks ago. It says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. So if we're using prophecy, if we're prophesying to one another, then the whole purpose of that is, is, um, excuse me, is edification, which means to build up, and exhortation, which means to, uh, to encourage, and consolation, which, which not only means to, to, to empathize with people, but it also means to put your arm around them and say, I'll carry you if need be. I will strengthen you. I will pick you up. That is the purpose of the church. Are we doing that? Is that who we are? Is that what your mind was set on this morning when you got up and said, I'm going to go to the church building. I'm going to go meet with the church. Is it so that you can lift each other up? As, as, I, as I was going through this, God just, just continually showed me things. It just kept popping out. And, and, and I, want to, I want to unpack those for you, but, but that's what we have to understand is this whole message that Paul is trying to show. The whole purpose is that we need to build one another up. Because we have a mission to accomplish, and if we're all sitting around like we've been kicked in the head, none of us are going to be able to do anything. 
And so we have a responsibility to build one another up so that we can, so that we can fulfill the mission that God has given his church. Look with me at verses 20 through 25. It says, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in, yet in evil be infants. Here's what, here's what was going on. In the Corinthian church, every time the church would gather together, what was happening is there was multiple people, many, many, many people who would stand up and who would speak in tongues. And if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, it says that the purpose of, of speaking in tongues, or the, or the result, I guess I should say, the result of speaking in tongues is that the person who is doing the speaking is the one who is edified. So it's almost one of those things where it's like, look at me. You know, I'm, 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 I'm super spiritual because I can speak in a foreign language. I can speak in tongues and so forth. And, and so this was happening not just one or two times. It was like the bulk of their service. And, and so as, as they would get together, the purpose is to edify the church, and instead they were edifying themselves. And so what Paul's saying is, stop being kids. What kids want to do is just mine, that, that kind of mentality. And what Paul's saying is, don't have that attitude. If, if you're going to speak in tongues, and we've already talked about that and what all that means, if you, don't, if you weren't here, go back a few weeks on Facebook and, and you can see that. But if, if you were going to do that, if that's part of what you're going to do, then it needs to be very minimal because the purpose of the gathering of the body of Christ is not to edify ourselves, it's to edify the body. It's a corporate thing. That, so, the, so the goal of the church is, is that the entire church will be edified. And, and so what, what Paul's saying here is that in order to do this, we've got to be very pragmatic. Um, we've got to do the things that, that actually end up resulting in the edification of the church and not do the things which don't um, edify the church. Again, verse, verses, three, uh, verses 3 and 4, he says, uh, But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation, and the one who speaks a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So what, do, what we have to understand is what does it actually mean to prophesy? What does that word mean? And I, I did a, a good bit of, of study this week on what does that mean. And this is a definition from one of the theological dictionaries that I was able to find. And it's specific, specifically speaking to how is this word used in the New Testament. That's obviously what we're talking about. So the word prophecy, it obviously comes from the Old Testament prophets. I mean, that's where it originated. And many times they were, they were telling the future and they were telling what God is doing. They were speaking for God. And, and that's not really the connotation that this word has when, you, when you're in the New Testament. In the New Testament, specifically in the religious assemblies of the Christians, in the church, as they were gathered together, the people were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak, having the power to instruct, comfort, encourage, rebuke, convict, and stimulate their hearers, which is essentially what it says back in 1 Corinthians 14.3. So what prophesying is, is it's when one believer tells either another believer or the body of Christ, it, it, they speak out and, and they instruct them, maybe using God's word. They encourage them. They comfort them. Sometimes they rebuke them because that's what God's word says. They, they, they convict, they stimulate. So it's, it's one person reaching out to another person or, or even better to the entire body of God, body of Christ, to, to do those kind of things. And this is exactly what we saw back in verse 3. Prophecy, including the edification, which is the building up of the body, the exhortation, and the consolation. All of those things were going on. And in the, in the Corinthian church, what they were doing is they were focusing on themselves. They were focusing on how, how can I speak in tongues? How can I show how spiritual, how gifted I am? 
And that is not what at all what God was, was telling them to do. And if you look back at the quote here in verse 21, it says, In the law it is written, and this is actually a combination quote. This is from Deuteronomy 28 and also Isaiah 28. In both of those, Paul just kind of mashed these two together. It says, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people. And even so they will not listen to me. So let me tell you what, what was going on with this. When Moses wrote Deuteronomy, basically what he's doing is he's looking forward, he's looking into time, and he's saying that there's going to come a time where you guys stop listening to the Word of God. You don't want to hear it anymore. And so what God is going to do is He's going to bring people in to your town, to your cities, to your country that speak a foreign language. And when you see them in your nation, because they've invaded you, then you will know that this has come to pass and you will know that it's because you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. So God had to bring foreigners in, let them speak a foreign language in your land. And so it was, it was a means of, it was a curse. It was a sign to them that God was punishing them. Okay, so that's the foundation. When you go into Isaiah, you see that it's actually happening. What Moses had said hundreds and hundreds of years later, or earlier was now happening. And there were the Babylonians and the Assyrians and these groups were coming in and they were speaking these foreign languages and they were taking over. And so the, the idea behind speaking in tongues, when if someone were to stand up here and we had non-believers in the church that, that came into the body and someone spoke in tongues, what should happen and what normally does happen is that they would see that someone is speaking in my language praises to God. And I'm not speaking praises to God in my language. So it's a condemnation. It should bring conviction upon them. And what typically happens when that happens, when, when you have someone come in and someone's speaking in a foreign language, is, is they, they understand that and they still reject God. Now that's not always the case. If you look at Acts chapter 2, when you see this, the story of Pentecost, you see that there was, there was all of these Jews there that were speaking languages, they were speaking tongues. And, and what happened is at the end of Peter's sermon, the people said, what must we do to be saved? So sometimes it does result in people coming to Christ. But the vast majority of the time, exactly as, as Moses and as Isaiah has said, it's actually a sign of a curse for them. It's a sign that they're walking away from God. And, and so it's not a positive thing at all. And so we need, we need to see that. Um, verse 26, 26 and 27, 28. What we see here is that God demands order, not confusion. So in our service... The whole thing, and this is what Paul is going to camp out on here for a little while. The whole thing is we must have order. Because in the Corinthian church, what was happening is you had all these people standing up and trying to speak in tongues. You had all these people that were trying to sing songs. And you had all these people that were trying to interpret things. And you had all these people that wanted to preach. And you had all this stuff going on all at the same time. And sometimes they were even talking over top of one another. And it was chaotic. And it was just, it was not what God wanted at all. Now, this verse here, you have to understand that when when... In, in Koine Greek, which is what the, what the New Testament was primarily written in, there are no punctuation marks. There's no periods, there's no question marks, there's no commas, there's no anything like that. So in this verse here, I, I want to I show you what I think this means. In, in, in my Bible, it says, what is the outcome then, brethren? Question mark. In the original language, there was no question mark there because they didn't have question marks. So I think that this is just a continuation. I think he's saying, what is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble... Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. I think that's what Paul's saying here. 
I, th I think he's saying in your church assembly, when you're gathering together and everybody comes in and everybody's wanting to do everything, it's not for the edification of the church because it's so chaotic that nobody gets anything out of that. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't assemble. He's not saying that we shouldn't have a psalm. He's not saying that we shouldn't have a teaching. He's not saying that we shouldn't have a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. All of those things are appropriate for the service. But they must be done in order. They must be done in, in some sort of fashion. And then he goes on in just a few verses, actually the next verse in 27, and he explains how that's to be done. Verse 21, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three at most. And each in turn. And there must be an interpreter. So in the church building, if someone wants to speak in tongues, that's fine. They, they could do that then. I don't, I don't believe that's still the case for today, but that's a whole different discussion. But at this time, if that was going to happen, then they were welcome to do that. But they had to have an interpreter. And there could only be two or three of them. Now, here's what I want you to see about this, because this is really important. There are many, especially in the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement, who says that, that the Lord just attacked me and He overwhelmed me and I have to do this. I have to speak in tongues. It doesn't matter if we're in the middle of a service, middle of a preaching service. If God attacks me, I've got to stand up and I've got to just say all this stuff. What Paul's saying here is no. That's not the case at all. It must be done by order. That it's only two or three people. It's only if there's an interpreter. And if there's not an interpreter, you keep your mouth closed. So it's clear that we do have the ability to either speak or not speak. It's not that God is just overwhelming us with His Spirit and with His presence, and so therefore we don't have a choice. That's not what He's saying at all. He's saying it is entirely your decision if you want to do this or not. And if you're going to do it, here's the parameters. There's only going to be two or three of you. There's not going to be 17 of you doing it this day because we've got other things we need to do. And this only edifies you. We're here for the edification of the church. And so we're, we're going to limit this in the verse 28. But if there's no interpreter, you've got to keep silent and let him speak to himself and God. It's not saying that you can't pray. It's not saying that you can't have this communication with God. It's just it's not for public dissemination because it's not going to benefit the rest of the church. The second part, now that we've got the tongues taken care of, what about those who are, who are prophesying, who are speaking? Let two or three prophets speak. Notice he doesn't say only or at most is what it says in, in, the, in the original with, you know, with, the, uh, with the, the tongues. So in other words, a good idea is to have two or three people speak. But if it's four or five or six, that's okay. Just, just understand that the purpose of prophecy, as I've defined it, is for the edification of the church. And so if we've got more than two or three, it's really okay. It's not going to destroy anything because it's for the purpose of edification, which is what we're trying to do. But if revelation is made to him who is seated, the first one must keep silent. In other words, still, take your time. Take, take turns. Don't, don't interrupt one another. Don't jump up when someone else is talking. You wait for them to finish, and then you share. For, all can, for, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted, lifted up, encouraged. And the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. So God is going to, to teach us. He's going to work through us, but He's only going to do it one at a time. Now, hang on just one second. Yes, sir. It does. Yeah, if you've, if you've not been here on Wednesday nights, this is exactly the way we do it. 
Um, I don't preach. Uh, I, I lead the discussion. And we typically have 15, 20 folks in here. And, and I'll bring up something. And I typically say, what do you think about that? And I'll turn it over to you. And, and one, at a, one at a time, everybody just kind of goes back and forth. Well, I think about this. Well, well maybe that, here's another idea. And, and invariably what happens in, the, in those Wednesday nights is I end up getting probably more out of it than you guys do, even though I've been studying it. And that's why I was going back to what I said at the very beginning. I think that's why it's so important that if we know that we're going to be on 1 Corinthians 15 next week, this week all of you can be studying. You can know what's there. You can understand what's there. You can ask each other questions. You can, you can make sure that you're fully versed on, on not only what we're going to be talking about, but also how does all of the rest of Scripture feel, uh, you know, explain this even further. And so then when we come into the service, if two or three of you want to stand up and say, let me tell you what I've been thinking this week. Let me tell you how, how God has, has shown me some, some truth, some new truth that I've never seen before. And then you explain this of, of God's Word. Or let me show you how I have been able to use this as I went out into the marketplace or as I went into my job. And that's going to lift every one of us up. It's going to encourage every one of us. That's what God wants. I've, I've been so convicted, and Jared and I have been talking about this a lot this week. Um, there's, a, there's a book that I've been reading, and look at our church. Look at the way that this church building is set up. All of you are, are kind of circle encircling me. This is the focal point of everything that's done, and al along with, the, with where the, choir, where the, the um, ensemble sings. And, and everything that's done up here is a performance. And everything that's done out there is, is, an, is, an audience, is just the audience paying attention. That's not the way that God intends us to be. He intends Him to be the focal point. And all of us together, we're all, we, we believe as Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. Which means you don't need me to go between you and God. That's what Hebrews teaches us. Every one of us have direct access through the blood of Christ to the throne room of God. And so because that's the truth, you're just as much a priest as I am. There is no difference in us. What Paul has been explaining for the last several chapters is there's some who have been gifted in certain ways and there's others who have been gifted in other ways. I believe that my gifting is to be able to teach. I think that's one of the things that God has, has instilled in me. And so because of that, I'm here. But this should not be the focal point. It should not be what we're all about. We should come into this place and every one of us have already been studying and every one of us already know exactly what we're going to be talking about. And as we, as a group, work together to each one edify the body as a whole, then all of us can focus on our Lord and Savior and understand exactly what His Word is teaching all of us. That's what the church is all about. It's not in this what we've made it in this spectacle show where everybody comes in and, you know, did the preacher say it right today or did he not? Did, did the songs good today or were they not? That's not what this is all about, folks. This is a time for us as the body of Christ to build one another up and to grow in our Christian understanding so that we can be more and more like Christ every single day. And it's interesting, too, if you look at verse, uh, verse 31, for all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a, um, a God of confusion, but of peace. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about here is our job, if I'm speaking, what is your job? 
Your job is to listen, to not interrupt, and to, to judge everything I'm saying. Is it scriptural? And as we, as a group, prophesy one to another, we stand up and, and we speak and we teach each other and we help each other. Our job, if we're the listener, is what we see in, in, in 1 John 4, 1. There it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have, come, have gone out into the world. Whether it's me as your pastor speaking the words, or whether it's you as, as the other priest in this, in this congregation speaking the words, whatever it may be, our job, if we're the listener, is to judge what they're saying. Is this biblical or not? Is this factual or not? Does this line up with everything that Scripture tells us or not? And if it does, then we need to obey it. And if it doesn't, then there's some other things that we need to do. And, and you, we, we can get into that later, but that, that's, that's exactly where we're at. Now, the most controversial part of the, of the whole, whole passage is in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35. And I want us to unpack this, so don't start throwing anything at me before I go through this. It says... Let the women, excuse me, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Okay? Now, women's lib are just going to start throwing tomatoes at that, because it sounds on face value like Paul is just denigrating women, and he is subjecting them in every possible way. But again, I want us to understand the fullness of God's Word and understand exactly what He's telling us. And in order to do that, we have to flip back a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we've also got to look at what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because all three of those passages are very central to the role of women in the, in the congregation. So I want us to look at these uh, for just a moment. Let me read you these. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. We, we touched on this a few weeks ago. But every woman who has an uncovered, uh, excuse me. But every woman who has her head uncovered while prophesying or while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, which is her husband, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Okay, so got that? The woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, she's disgracing her husband. Then in First Timothy chapter two, verses eight through fifteen. He says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. Likewise, in other words, in the same way, I want the women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was, created, who was first created, and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Okay, so here's what I want us to understand. These verses, this, this verse here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 can be extremely distorted because on face value, what it, mean, what it looks like is Paul saying, you women, you need to sit down, you need to shut up, and you need to just obey. You need to get in place. That is not at all what he's saying. Okay, so I want you to understand this. This is not what he's saying, and let me, let me prove it to you. If we go back to the passage in 1 Corinthians, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying and prophesying, 
In other words, it's okay for a woman to pray and to prophesy in the body of the, of the church. Even if she does it publicly, there's nothing wrong with that. If it weren't that way, he would say women are not allowed to pray and prophesy in church. He does not say that. He says that women, when they, when they do do this, this is how it's to be done. Okay, So clearly he doesn't mean you've got to come in and zip it as soon as you walk in the door and you can't talk again until you get back in the car. That is not what Paul's saying at all. He's even saying that he's encouraging women here to pray publicly and to prophesy publicly, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to do all of those things. So, so Paul's not being sexist. He's not being a misogynist. He's not being any of those kind of things. He's simply saying there are roles that men have and there are roles that women have. And if you go to the first, uh, excuse me, the first Timothy 2 passage, let me skip over just a little bit. Verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. Please, please notice here, his, his whole argument is based on creation. And this was creation before there was sin. So this is in the perfect will of God that this is how I want it to be. It, it's also important, and, and I say this every time we talk about this, there is total equality between men and women. Neither are superior or inferior to the other. They are completely equal in the same way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are completely equal. But even within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son always submits to the will of the Father. Willingly, exactly. And the Holy Spirit only teaches the things he's heard Christ say. So he's, in a sense, submitting to the Son. So even though there's complete equality within the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's also a superiority... Uh, no, let's not say that. There's also a, um, a hierarchy that God has created, and it's based on submission. And it's the same way in the husband-wife relationship. Here's another note that, that's important. This is not talking about men and women. It's specifically talking about husbands and wives. That one day, and, and we were talking about this on, on the way to church this morning, one day when I stand before God, Cindy is, not going, Cindy is not going to be questioned about how she led me or how she taught me or how our family went. That's going to be my responsibility. And to be honest with you, I'm not really excited about that because that is an enormous weight for a man to carry, to know that his family must be led and guided in God's Word and be taught and trained in truth and righteousness. That's the man's responsibility. You women get off the hook on that. You're not responsible for that. But at the same time, the women's responsibility is to be submissive to the things that the husband is teaching and training and helping and leading and guiding. And it's not that the husbands and the wives are not completely equal because they are. There is no difference whatsoever in the husband and wife in God's eyes. But God has still created a hierarchy that He has created from, from creation that was his plan for all of eternity. And it's always, it's, it's always been that way. And so what, what is he saying then? He says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. That is the prohibition. Okay, It's not that you can't speak. It's not that you can't prophesy. It's not that you can't pray because all of those things are clearly shown in Scripture where it's, where it's not only uh, allowed, but it's also wanted and needed. And so if any of you ladies would like to prophesy, if you would like to, to tell others, to encourage others, to exhort others, even in the full body of, of the church, in front of everybody, that's perfectly fine. 
If you want to pray in front of the entire body of Christ, that's perfectly fine. There's no problem with that. The problem comes in verse 12. If you teach or if you exercise authority over a man. Now, is that because you're not as smart? No. has nothing to do with intelligence. I, I guarantee you there's some women here that are a lot smarter than I am. But regardless of that, God says the woman is not supposed to exercise authority or, or teach a man. Why? I don't know. That's just the way he created it. And, and so what we have to do is we have to say, God, this is your order of creation. This is the way you have ordained this. This is the way you have established this. And so we understand that women have the ability and, and the requirement, really, to pray and prophesy in church, to speak in church, but not to exercise authority or to teach. So now let's go back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I just kind of said all this. Okay, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at verse 34 with me for just a moment. It says, The women are to keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak. Okay? So what does that mean? How are we supposed to pray and prophesy if we're not allowed to speak? The word that Paul uses there for speak is the word laleo. Okay? And, and it has this kind of, it's, it's used almost 300 times in Scripture. And, and it, it can mean to just talk. Okay? But more importantly, one of the things, the, the connotation that it carries with it is, is this argumentative type approach. Or it also carries, it's actually translated preach, I think six times. So what he's saying is, the, if, if somebody, if, if, if Jared, let's use an example. If Jared stands up and, and he gives a, a prophecy, if he, if he tries to encourage the body, if he teaches the body, if he shows the body, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to pick you on you, Vicky. And Vicky stands up and says, Jared, I don't agree with you on this. And this is what God says, and this is why you're wrong. What she's doing is she's laleoing. That, that's what that would be. It would be arguing, exercising authority over a male. And God says you can't do that. Now, does that mean that she can't, after the service, go and talk to him and say, Jared, look, this is something I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, and, and I really think this is where God is, is, um, is, is correcting some of the things that you're saying. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just in the body, when we're trying to edify the body corporately, that doesn't do anything but cause division and derision and tear things apart. And so it's not to be done. The other thing that laleo can sometimes mean, I think I said this, is, is it can mean to preach. And so if we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says, I don't, al I don't allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority, that's what he's essentially saying, is that you can't preach because you're not good enough or you're not smart enough or you're not educated. What? No, it has nothing to do with that. It's simply based on the created order that God has established. So does that make sense? You guys with me? Nobody's willing to shoot me? Okay. <laughs> well, Linda, we'll talk about that at church. <laughs> but, but that's essentially what he's saying, is that women can pray and prophesy, and, and that's 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, women are instructed how to pray. They're supposed to do it likewise in the same way that men do. And 1 Corinthians 14, women are not allowed to speak. What does that mean? It means they're not allowed to teach or preach or exercise authority. And again, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, women are not allowed to teach, preach, or exercise authority based on the creation hierarchy. And then finally, if we go all the way back full circle to back to 1 Corinthians 11, the head covering brings this all together. Paul wants the husband to be the covering over the wife to be the protector, and to be the one that, that shields everything. And so if she's going to stand up 
and do things in a, in a manner that brings disgrace to him, again, that tears up that hierarchy that God has created. And so that's, that's what this is all talking about. So I think I went through that sufficiently enough. The, the next thing is, is Paul gives him authority. Uh, Paul shows that he has the authority to give these instructions. And I think it's interesting that he, that he says this immediately after he says this thing about this women thing. Because I'll be honest with you folks, where, where women get in trouble is, is they want to take that authority role. And where men get in trouble is they don't want to take that authority role. That's exactly what we do. We're literally reversing the created order that God has, has created. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, what was happening? Satan came and spoke to Eve. Why? Because he knew he shouldn't be, I think, is, is part of that reason. But secondly, there's, there's every indication that Adam was probably standing right there beside him. And what Adam should have done is Adam should have been a man and Adam should have said, you leave my wife alone. If you've got a problem, you come to me. You talk to me about it. I'm the head of this relationship. It's not that she is, is inferior to me. It's just that I'm the one that God has ordained to have this discussion. And Adam should have taken care of it. And he didn't. He was a weak coward. And so he sinned. And so what Eve did is she said, well, I can take care of this. I can wear the pants in this family. I can do everything that this man can do. And she sinned. Folks, if you want to boil down just about everything we do that's wrong in the family relationship, it's, it's almost always that. That's ultimately where it boils down to 99% of the time. And, and if we're ever going to get that fixed, men have to love their wives. And they have to protect their wives. And they have to, to envelop them, to wrap them, to cover them. And women have to feel secure in that in that covering. And that's ultimately what, what, what happened in, in the Garden of Eden and what blew everything up. And, and so Paul knows that because things haven't changed in the last 2,000 years. When he wrote this, that was the feelings they were having as well. And so he immediately says, was it from you that the Word of God first went forth? Or has it come to you? In other words, do you have the authority to stand up and criticize and condemn the things I'm saying in Scripture? Or is this God's Word? And he goes on, verse 37, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commands. In other words, if you're going to, as soon as I, I send this letter to Corinth and it's read aloud, next week somebody gets up and says, you know, that Paul guy, he's, he's full of baloney. This is what I really think we should be doing. This is really how I think we should be doing tongues. Or this is how I really think we should be doing prophecy. Or this is what you women should really be doing. What you need to understand is, this is not Paul's commandment. It says this is the Lord's commandment. And if you're really a prophet, you're going to understand that and you're going to recognize that. Verse 38, he's kind of sarcastic. But if anyone doesn't recognize this, he's not even to be recognized. So in other words, if, if you don't even understand the basics, the basic foundational part of what Scripture says, don't even pay attention to that person. They're not even worth listening to. And then finally, in summary, verses 39 and 40. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things, this is the summary verse, but all things must be done properly in an orderly manner. So here's, here's, here's where he's at. The whole purpose of the church, the called out body of believers, is to edify and lift one another up. That's the reason that we gather in this building every week. That's the reason that we gather every Wednesday night. And it must be done in an orderly and proper manner. 
That's what God demands because that's the way God has put everything together. Furthermore, this is not the Jamie show. This is not the, the choir show or the, 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 the uh, musician's show. This is our performance to our God. And so what we need to be doing as the body of Christ is, is really this thing needs to, needs to be completely re, re, rethought through. And it needs to be all of us lifting all of us up together so that we can all get closer and closer to our God, which is ultimately going to bring us all closer and closer into unity. So here's a couple of takeaways I want us to see. Number one, do we understand tongues correctly? Um, if you don't, re revisit that, that PowerPoint from, or that um, video from a few weeks ago. Hopefully I, I did a good job, and, and we can certainly talk about that if you still have questions. Secondly, do we value order in everything that we do in our assembly? Is order important to us, or do we, we want to be chaotic? Third, do we have multiple people that want to prophesy, sing, and pray in every gathering? This, I think, is where we've missed the boat. Is I think it, it has become a, a show of just me or just our, our singers, and it doesn't need to be. This, you are the body of Christ, just as much as I am. And it's all of us coming to lift each other up before our Father. That's what this is all about. And so what I would like for us to start doing, I would like to give all of you an opportunity to speak if you would like to. Because this is not about me, and I promise you I will gather more, and the, the congregation will gather more as we are all collectively talking as opposed to just me coming up here and speaking for 30 minutes every week. So do we have multiple people that are doing these things? Do we understand the roles of men and women? It's not a superiority and inferiority. It's just a, a different hierarchy that God has created. Are we members of the audience or are we participants? That is, that is the critical question I think God is asking us. Does everything we do edify the body? And finally, how do we need to conform to this teaching? That's what God's laid on my heart this week. That's what I think this, this passage is talking about. And I would really, really, really love for you guys to be prepared next week for us to discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to open it up to you guys. Is there anybody who would like to say anything? Yep. I totally agree with that, Ruth. Yeah, there, there, uh, there are a lot of uh, widows. There are a lot of unmarried women. And the, the role of that is, is if your fathers are still here, that should still be the, the overarching thing. Uh, if your fathers aren't here, it becomes the church. Uh, the church becomes your umbrella. And, and Scripture specifically tells us how we're supposed to treat our widows. And, and I think that's another place that we fail at. We, we don't treat widows the way that we should. And, you know, God forgive us for, for not doing that. Um, but I think that, that where you're at, Ruth, I think you're completely right, is, is that it, God is your husband. That's the way you look at it. Uh, but the other thing he's instituted is he's instituted a hierarchy inside the church as well. You know, we, ha we have elders that, that that's their responsibility is to teach and to train to make sure that, that people are... are are fed spiritually, and we've got uh, deacons that, that are there to serve. And so I think that's why it's important that we understand how God has placed this, this church together, not this church, but His church together, so that, um, so that those needs are taken care of. I completely agree with you, though, 100%. Anything else? It, it depends on... I, I think the answer to that is it depends on what you're doing. If it's and, and take me out of it, because I really want to get the focus off of me. 
Let's say that it's JJ, okay? And let's say that JJ stands up and he says something, and you disagree with that. Then I think that is a, is a position where you should go directly to JJ and let's discuss this. Um, and, and if you're married, I think you should first go to your spouse, your husband, and discuss that. And then your husband can go to JJ and discuss that. I think that's the, that's the correct protocol that God gives us. However, if you're just standing up and you're saying something, you know, this is what God has, has this is what I've been able to do with the scripture this week. This is how God has, has changed my life, how he's transforming me, how he's moving me closer. I think that's perfectly fine to do. I don't think there's any, any prohibition at all towards you doing that. It would. That would be the prophesying part. So that's where I want us to end this morning. Are we edifying the called out body of believers? That's what our job is this week. Is, is to do that. And, and it doesn't have to be in this place. It doesn't have, there's nothing special about this building. Okay, I know that seems, seems sacrament, uh, sacrilegious that I say that. There's nothing special about this building. This is just where we gather together. This is where God's church gathers together to meet and to praise Him and to worship Him. But that could just as easily be done out there in the parking lot. That could just as easily be done at Ingalls. There's nothing special about the building. There's something special about the people. And so if two or three of you gather together this week, whether it's on the phone or whether it's by texting or by Zoom or you just go over to somebody's house, that is the church meeting together. And that is an opportunity for you to edify one another throughout the week. It doesn't have to just be one time on Sunday and it's over. So continue to think about that. Maybe reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ this week and say, hey, how can I help you? How can I benefit you? How can I encourage you? That's what we're about. All right? Let's pray and I'll close. Father, thank you for this time that we've been able to be together. God, I pray that you would conform our minds to the image of, of your son. And Lord, that you would, you would mold and shape every one of us every day to be more and more like you. God, I pray that you would help us to see clearly uh, what your word is saying and, and be willing to, to make changes if need to be. And Lord, I, just, I thank you for what you're doing. I praise you and I just pray that you would keep us all safe. And uh, bring us back together at the next time. First in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a good week.